And I'm asking all of you who are staying here in the sanctuary with us to take your Bibles, or if you have access to a copy of the Scriptures, would you please join me in the Gospel of Matthew? Matthew chapter 25. We're not far from the end of our series in this Gospel as Matthew has told us his story told us the story of Jesus, has led us from Advent, and we are almost to Easter. And we're skipping around a little bit here at the end of this series. We'll come back to chapter 21 next week for Palm Sunday and look at the passage of Jesus entering the city of Jerusalem. Uh, But after Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem, he begins to teach again. And in his teaching, he talks a lot about what will happen in and through and after his death and resurrection. And he talks a lot about judgment, the judgment that will begin in his cross and that will continue into the final judgment. And so we're going to look at one of the passages of that teaching, two parables that Jesus tells here in Matthew chapter 25 to get a sense of what Jesus uh, wants to say to us. And so our sermon text this morning is Matthew chapter 25, uh, verse 1 to 30. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. 
He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant! You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I, have scattered, where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the uh, outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word, but sometimes it's hard to hear. It's hard to hear those final words about weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we have in front of us this morning a text, a teaching that that can be difficult, that can be frightening. And so we need your help. We need clarity to understand what Jesus is teaching us. We need humility even when what Jesus is teaching us confronts us, calls us to repentance. So would you give us those gifts this morning, and by your Spirit, would you open our eyes and our ears, our minds and our hearts to receive this, trusting that it is good, trusting that like a seed, it can enter our lives and produce good and beautiful fruit. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I was watching a video recently of a live performance of Bach's B minor mass. And as I watched that video, I was reminded of my past life as a trumpet player. I was a music major in college, and so I spent a good bit of time in orchestras playing some of the great works of the classical music tradition. And what you find out as a trumpet player is that the great composers of the classical music tradition had little use for you. They have a lot of use for the strings, maybe a little less for the other winds, but for the brass, they only need you when they want things to get loud. And so as a trumpet player, you spend a lot of time sitting around and waiting for your turn to make noise. And being a trumpet player in an orchestra reminds me of being a Christian. Because a major aspect of the life of faith, the life of belonging to Jesus, is waiting. And that's a major theme of Jesus' teaching here at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. He shows us that through his life, death, and resurrection, he begins something that is not yet done. And so to live belonging to him, to live following him, is to live in anticipation of that completion. And Jesus understands and he shows us that waiting is hard. 
Waiting can be difficult and confusing and exhausting. And so in his teaching here, he gives us help for the waiting. And I want us to receive that help this morning. I want to come to what Jesus shows us in these two parables and ask a couple of questions. First, what are we waiting for? And then second, how should we wait? First of all, what are we waiting for? Well, as I've already acknowledged, part of these parables are scary. There's an element of these stories that are frightening, disturbing. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is outer darkness. There's the words, I don't know you. There is a closed and locked door. And note that all of these frightening images and words are expressions of being outside. Outside of what? Well, outside of a celebration, outside of a party. The master in the second parable welcomes the first two servants into his joy. And of course, the first parable is in the context of a wedding celebration. These 10 young women, their role would have been to process in, most likely dancing with the groom into the celebration of the wedding. And Jesus talks a lot about weddings. He famously attended and rescued the joy, the wine of a wedding feast. He begins this section of teaching all the way back in Matthew chapter 22, telling a parable about what God not only will do in the future, but what he's doing in the past and the present. And he describes it as gathering guests for a wedding party, for a wedding feast. Now why? Why all of this talk? Why all of this imagery of weddings? Well, it's because from the perspective of Scripture, the whole of Scripture, not just these passages, from the perspective of the whole of Scripture, at the heart of reality and at the heart of history is a union. And we've seen it again and again in this sermon series. It is the reunion of heaven and earth. It is the reconnection of the creator with his creation. It is Emmanuel. It is God with us. It is God dwelling with, marrying, unifying himself with a people. And the best way to hint at the happiness of that union, the happiness of that intimacy. The best way to hint at that happiness is the music and the dancing, the decorations and the beautiful clothes, the food and the drink of a wedding celebration. The role of these women in keeping their lamps burning, echoes the job of the priest in the Old Testament. One of the major pieces of furniture in the temple in the Old Testament was a lampstand. And the priests in the Old Testament were tasked with keeping that lampstand burning at all times. It was never to go out. Why? 
Well, because the fire, the light of that lampstand represented God's presence, God's dwelling, God in a marriage, in a union with his people. And so here at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, as Jesus comes to the city of Jerusalem, he begins to talk a lot about the temple and what will happen to the temple after his death and resurrection and the fact that that temple will once again, that physical structure will once again be destroyed under God's judgment. Why does Jesus talk about that so much? Well, because he is bringing into reality a better, a fuller union that the temple was only a shadow of. Jesus is bringing about this union that is at the heart of reality, that is at the heart of all history. He is the groom who leads a people and all of creation into the dancing, into the music, into the decorations and beautiful clothes, into the table the food and the drink of the marriage between heaven and earth. That unimaginable joy is what we are waiting for. Because though Jesus is doing that, he is not yet finished that. That joy, that full joy is not yet. Not fully, not completely Last spring, I arrived home one day and found a brand new kayak on my front porch. My thoughtful wife had purchased it as a gift to celebrate the coming of spring. But here was the problem. Maybe you remember last spring, which seems to be repeating itself this year, but last spring was very cold and rainy for a long time. And so that kayak sat in my garage for two months, and though I was happy to receive the gift, I was not yet able to fully enjoy that gift by putting it in the water. That's Christian waiting. We have received an unimaginably good gift in Jesus. He is gathering us, leading us to the party. But we have not yet entered that full joy. We have not yet entered that full celebration. We have to wait for it. And so there is an incompleteness to the Christian experience. There is an ache. There is a longing for something more. Which is important because sometimes we talk about, we sing about being satisfied in Jesus. And then we're frustrated when we don't feel that. But that's the way Jesus said it would be. Yes, one day we will be fully satisfied in him and in what he does, but not yet we still live with the ache for something more. And we need to be careful not to put the expectation of the full meal 
on what is only an appetizer. We cannot put the expectation of this full happiness of belonging, of a deep belonging beyond imagination, we cannot put that on what is only a hint, a guess at that joy. Let me give you an example of what I mean. We're talking about weddings, and so let's talk about marriage. Marriage is a good gift from God. But at its best, marriage is only a hint. It is only a guess. It is only a taste of the meal that is to come, of the happiness, the intimacy, the belonging that is to come. And if you take the expectation of that happiness and put it on your present marriage, you'll crush it because it's only a hint. It is only a taste. Your marriage cannot make you fully, lastingly happy. It cannot assuage your loneliness. It cannot give you that deep soul ache that you have for belonging. It can only be a hint, a taste. And the same is true for our other relationships, the same is true for our work, our careers, the same is true for art and entertainment, the same is true for vacation and other delights that we receive. They are good, but they are good only as hints and guesses for something more. And that something more, we have to wait for it. We have to know and live and accept that ache as a part of our ongoing experience for now. How do we do that? Second question. If that's what it means to wait, if that's what we're waiting for, then how should we wait? Back to the scary parts of these parables, it's very clear that there is a wrong way to wait, right? There are people left out of these celebrations, people left out of these joys, and so we need to ask not only what were they left out of, but why? Why was the door shut? And in the case of those five young women in the first parable, they were shut out because they were bad Boy Scouts, right? They were unprepared. They didn't bring enough oil. But what does that mean? What does that mean for us? Does that mean we need to stock up on the Valvoline and the canola in our bunkers in the basement? What does this mean for us? How are we prepared for this future that Jesus promises to us? Well, the answer to that question is in the second parable. The first parable is about the need for waiting, for being ready. The second parable is how to get ready, how to be prepared. A master gives his three servants talents, not in the sense of you've got talent. No, talent was simply a measurement of money, like a dollar or a penny. And so he spreads his wealth amongst his servants, and then he leaves. And when he gets back, 
What makes the difference between who is let into his joy and who is left out of his joy? Well, it is what they did with what they had. Being ready is a matter of investment. Being prepared is what you do in the present with what you have. Now here is a really, really important question. What do we have? What talents has the master given us? It is not our unique, super special ninja skills, right? It's not our ability to juggle. Remember, talents are a measurement of money. So what wealth has our master? What wealth has Jesus given to us? Think about the imagery of the Gospel of Matthew. What is the pearl of great price? What is the treasure hidden in the field? It's the kingdom. It's the gospel. It's the message about the kingdom of heaven. It is the message that God through Jesus has begun the renewing rule of heaven on earth. That's our talents. That is our wealth that Jesus has given to us. And so we wait by receiving and responding to that message. We wait for the work that will be finished by the joining the work that has already begun. We wait by taking that gift, that gift that Jesus gives to us of participation in God's desire, in God's work, and we connect that gift to every area of our lives. And this is where my kayak illustration breaks down because that was a gift that I couldn't use. But Jesus has given us a gift that, yes, we have to wait for the full enjoyment of it, but we can, in part, enjoy it and use it now. Because what he will finish, he has started, and it is ongoing, and he holds out to us the opportunity of joining him in that work. And so, yes, your marriage can't be the full joy but it can be a taste of it. It can be a hint of it. And so get to work making it the best taste that you can. Same is true of your work and your other relationships and your relationships in your neighborhood and your relationships here at church. Yes, we cannot bring the fullness of the kingdom of heaven right now, but we can be a taste, a hint, a guess at the beauty and the joy of that kingdom. But how? How do we do that? How is it possible for us to wait in this way? Well, why does the third servant fail? Why does he fail to invest what had been given to him? He distorts the character of his master. 
He is so afraid of future harshness that he cannot receive present generosity. So how will we be able to invest the kingdom of the heaven into our lives? Well, it is to know and to trust the character of our master, the character of our groom, that he is not a harsh master. In fact, he is the one who in Matthew chapter 11 invites us into his rest because he is gentle and lowly in heart. He does not reap where he has not sown. No, he enters death as a seed for us so that he can produce life in us. He is not just a master who spreads out his wealth. He is the master who becomes poor so that he can open up to us the riches of God's grace. How do you wait? You receive the wealth of that grace for yourself and then you invest it in those around you. As a waiting trumpet player, I learned that I have three options. First option was to get drowsy or distracted by the cute viola player and miss my entrance. (laughs) Not a good option. The second option was to precisely count the measures until it was my time to come in. But I was never good at math, and so that wasn't a good option either. The third and the best option was to so know that piece of music and to so closely pay attention to what was happening around me that I knew when and how to join that sound. That option is Christian waiting. It's not counting the days. Jesus says again and again, you won't know the day or the hour. So stop speculating. Stop living in the paralyzing question of when will Jesus come? What are the signs? Instead, let him activate you with the question, what should we be doing in the meantime? And so instead of counting the days, we should listen to the music of the master. The music that has already begun. The strains of that wedding march that are already sounding even now. And then ask, how can I join it with the sound of my life? Let's pray. Father, it is hard to wait. We so long for the fullness of your promise, the fullness of all things made new, of all wrongs made right, the the promise of of a joy that is beyond our imaginations, of a happiness that will never end, that we cannot even conceive. We do long for that, we ache for that, and it is hard to wait for it. It is hard to see the wrongs around us and the wrongs within us. It is hard 
to grieve the loss of those we love. It is hard to live in sickness and to love those who are sick. It is hard to struggle in our marriages, which should be a hint of that joy, but sometimes aren't. So, Father, would you help us? Would you help us to wait well? Not passive, but actively asking, how is your kingdom at work now? And how can we be a part of it? How can our lives, our relationships become a hint, a taste of that great celebration that is to come? And as we pray all of these things, we join the cry of Scripture right at the end. And we say, come, Lord Jesus. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.